0: I'm going to start out today by sharing something about my wife that she might not agree with, but it's true nonetheless. You'll see what I mean. And remember those three, four, whatever number of unusually fit people who stayed to themselves at one corner of the last party you attended, or some recent party, I'll tell you what they were talking about. Yeah, you didn't miss anything. And then I'll tell you that bridges and hills, they're really the same thing. And all of this is on the way to answering the question, what makes you a runner? Welcome to the Sky Pilot podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. Okay, you ready for it? Here's my revelation about my wife. She is a runner. My wife is a runner. If I told her that I was going to say that before I recorded this episode, she would have said, "Eh, don't say that about me, or if you do, at least add some qualifiers. But she is. She is a runner. She just wants me to understand that when most people hear the sentence, my wife is a runner, or Sarah is a runner, they may have a tendency to imagine her as an elite runner.
1: What is it exactly that makes someone an elite runner?
0: Well, no one knows for sure. Okay, that's not quite true. I think there are three things that would make someone an elite runner. There may be more, but that's all I'm thinking of right now. First, they have competed in running events with a real chance of winning or placing during the event. This, of course, would be runners who have been ranked in the upper echelon of the runners of the world or ranked in their respective countries, or actually it can be even a little lower than that, or even accomplished runners who are as I said, accomplished enough to be the person who wins the local 5K, 10K races in their hometown. Now, that local person might not be world-class, but they could still be called elite. Next, in big road races, people are often started in waves so that they don't all run up on each other, and these waves are normally seeded by how, well, how strong of a runner you are. So if you get to start in the first wave, you're probably an elite runner then, and this is my third group, and it's a much larger group, and if you aren't a runner, you'll know who I'm talking about immediately. You don't have to be a runner to understand or to recognize these folks. These are the three or four people who gather in a corner during a party, and they spend their entire time together talking about how many miles they've logged this week. They will talk about the races they have run. They will talk about the races they're going to run. They will tell everyone how they're going to taper before the next race and how their running buddy is such a chronic overtrainer. You know, and other running stuff. These runners love to talk about how often they have to replace their shoes because. Well, because they're such elite runners. No, they would never use the word elite to describe themselves in that way, but they sure use a lot of other words to imply that they are. So elite runners are competitive at a high level and allowed to start towards the front or spend so much time and focus on running that they want everyone to know it's their primary identity. So Sarah would probably not want me to say she's a runner because she wouldn't want to imply that she's one of those people that I've just described. But she runs several times a week. She's part of a Saturday training group that meets every single Saturday, and she actually helps organize a piece of it. Oh, and even on Thanksgiving Day, her dedication to running was so great that she got up early, really early. Yes,
1: yes, she got up so she could go run. We've got it. Quit belaboring the point. Uh, Actually,
0: no. She got up early to be a volunteer for a race on Thanksgiving that happened to be going near our home. Actually, in front of our home. So as it turned out, she was given a job that was about six blocks from our building. So after she'd gotten up, bundled up in layers, headed out for her post, I got a text from her telling me that she would love it if I brought her a cup of coffee. So I made her some coffee, put it in an insulated mug, bundled myself also in some warm clothing, and begrudging, I mean joyfully, I really mean joyfully, walked to where she was to give her the coffee. Now, I have to tell you, as I exited our building, the runners were streaming past. Hundreds and hundreds of them were in sight right at that moment. And some were dressed as various parts of Thanksgiving dinner. Some were dressed as pie, some were dressed as turkey, both dressed as cooked turkey or uncooked versions, the live version of turkeys. All of them were in the race. Not everyone, of course, chose food as the theme for their attire. Some dressed as superheroes, some were dressed in expensive running gear, some dressed more like they had intended to be doing yard work that day, and the race came as a total surprise there were a wide range of people. There were kids, I'm guessing as young as 10, and people well into their 70s, maybe older. There were people of every shape, size, ethnicity. It was, well, you know, a lot like life. Anyway, my grumpy attitude immediately abated when I stopped to think that Every single one of these people had gotten up way way earlier than I did, had stood around in the uncomfortable cold waiting for the race to start, and now they were doing something far, far more difficult than my little coffee delivery jaunt. Not to say that it wasn't a major act of self-sacrifice.
1: Oh, certainly when your listeners picture people who have given their lives in the service to others, they immediately think of Mother Teresa, Florence Nightingale... Clara Barton, and, and, and you, of course.
0: Okay, as long as we're all on the same page. Anyway, even though my effort was generous, let's just say Herculean.
1: Oh, absolutely, sure, yes, without a doubt. I will
0: admit that the runners were putting in more effort than I was, on that day. So I began to study them, watch them. Now, Sarah and I live on a fairly large street in Atlanta, right in front of our building. Our street, 17th Street, is six lanes wide. And about three blocks past our building, our street crosses the interstate. But to say it crosses the interstate really doesn't do it justice. This bridge crosses over 75 North, 75 South, 85 North, 85 South, and several other access roads.
1: I'm pretty sure you could have just said 75 and 85, the north-south sections of an interstate run together, you know.
0: Yeah, but in this case, they don't. Each of those that I mentioned is its own section. They've all been separated from one another. So let me put it this way. The bridge crosses about 30 lanes of traffic below it, which means the bridge is long. As any person who runs, especially in this case non-elite runners because they're more in tune with how much effort various parts of the race or a run requires, as anyone who's done any level of running will know, bridge means hill. Bridges almost always have an arc to them. So as I'm walking with Sarah's Coffee, I'm watching the bridge ahead and wondering who will run up that hill and who will walk. So here's what I learned. This would be a great opportunity for a bar bet. If you don't know what I mean, a bar bet is traditionally something you bet the person sitting next to you at the bar. It's normally a bet that seems on the surface to be easily winnable by the person who's being challenged, but once they agree to the bet, they discover it's far more difficult than it seems at first glance. I'm reminded of the musical Guys and Dolls, the movie version, where Frank Sinatra's character is trying to get Marlon Brando's character to take a bar bet. Brando's character, Sky Masterson,
1: explains, well, in this case, explains a bar bet pretty well. Have we got a bet? On the day when I left home to make my way in the world, my daddy took me to one side. Son, my daddy says to me, I am sorry I'm not able to bankroll you to a very large start but not having the necessary letters to get you rolling. Instead, I'm going to stake you to some very valuable advice. One of these days in your travels, a guy is going to show you a brand new deck of cards on which the seal is not yet broken. Then this guy is going to offer to bet you that he can make the jack of spades jump out of this brand new deck of cards and squirt cider in your ear. But, son, You do not accept this bet, because as sure as you stand there, you're going to wind up with an ear full of cider.
0: That's one of my favorite portions of that movie.
1: Question, how many other podcasts on faith, religion, and spirituality talk about pub bets?
0: Hmm. You mean Grand Total, other than this one? Yes. Mm, None. Anyway, if I took you to stand there with me about 300 yards before the bridge, I could have said this to you. I challenge you to predict who will walk up the hill, and who will stop at the bottom and rest, and who will run it. Those three seem to be pretty much all of the options that I saw. Now here's here's the bet. I will give you $10 for every one you get right, and you just give me two for every one you get wrong. I would have made a lot of money you would have lost a lot. It would have been great. Oh, the fun times we would have had. Well, just stop think about it. If you were watching the runners go by, what criteria would you have used to determine who runs the bridge, the hill in front of them, and who doesn't? Well, perhaps you look for people who look like runners. This is a not-so-subtle code phrasing for skinny people. So you use some form of BMI body mass index, which just means weight proportion to height. You use that as a system to help you judge, and you would have quickly realized that, had you done that, how ineffective that was as a predictor. All right, but you're not a quitter. You're just getting started in your learning as you go. How about clothing? I mean, the person wearing, I don't know, a $100 running tights, $250 running jacket, and $200 running shoes? Yeah, that person's got to be a pretty committed runner, right? Nope. Those things, as it turns out, are not helpful predictors either. Does age work? Nope. Does gender work? Not at all. How about race? No. Again, it doesn't predict anything at all. The only predictor that I could figure out as I was watching was this. If people were running in a group of two or three or four or more, just a group, then they were more likely, well, to stay as a group, because if any of them needed to walk, then they all walked. Or if they ran, they all ran. Groups tended to stay together, which really doesn't predict. It's just an observation that I had.
1: So, just to ask another question, one that I seem to ask during your ramblings, well, quite a bit. Is there a point here, other than your amazing, heroic coffee delivery and your absolutely fascinating observation of runners. Anything else?
0: Well, yeah, there is. And I've already said it, actually. Quark, my friend, you're slipping. Earlier, I said that there were people of every shape, size, and ethnicity. And then I said, just like life. And that was your clue. The point here is that Thanksgiving Day—the Thanksgiving Day race, at least—is a lot like life. You see people around you in life going about the task of living it. And you think, because we all think this to some extent, you think that you can look around you and tell how everyone is doing, well, by the things you can see. But the truth is, just like this race, you can't tell a darn thing about how someone is doing. And what they are going to experience as life throws hills at them by anything you can see, their gender, weight, affluence, ethnicity, their clothing, car, home, none of them tell you about how they are doing in this thing we call life. And there's a tendency Also, in the process to discount our own participation, just like Sarah is inclined to say, oh, no, I'm not really a runner because she isn't one of those runners who will talks about being a runner all the time because she isn't someone who has won races and has medals and awards. So she doesn't talk about her achievements. And so she assumes, yeah, I'm not in the category with the real runners, the elite runners. So I'll tell you what I realized as I watched the Thanksgiving Day race. Every single one of those people was an amazing runner. Every single one of those people who was out there that day had signed up, laced up, shown up, and was giving it what they had. And you know what that made them? Amazing. Yes, exactly. Absolutely amazing. Amazing. Here's the other part that I want to highlight. The only thing I was able to accurately predict was that the groups would stay together on the hill. If someone needed to walk, they all walked. If they ran, they all ran. No one was left behind by a group. Ever. That's why running with a group is so much better than running alone. What this means is that everyone had support. Either way, if one was struggling, they all stayed together. But here's the part that didn't show, but I know it's true because, well, I used to be a runner myself. Many, many of those groups that ran the hill, one or more of those members of the group was already struggling and would have quit running or stopped and walked the hill had they been on their own. But in this case, the strength of the community gave them the resolve, the strength they needed to handle the challenge ahead. So now, want to know the secrets to life as learned from a Thanksgiving Day race by a guy who wasn't even running? Well, I'll give you several secrets. Number one, you are here. You are part of this thing called life. It's hard sometimes, for everyone sometimes. And simply because of that, yeah, you're amazing. I worked with a psychologist before going to seminary, and we worked with teens with a number of problems. And I was sitting in a session one time with one of the parents who was saying to the psychologist, I have made so many mistakes as a parent. To my surprise in that moment, the psychologist interrupted this and said, stop. I have one question for you. Have you ever made a decision that was intended to injure, hinder, or prevent your child from succeeding? The parent kind of looked at the psychologist for a moment like they'd been slapped and said, no, no, of course not. Psychologist then continues, then it sounds like your motivation was right. You weren't perfect in your decision making. None of us are. But if we know that, we know you never tried to make a bad decision. Let's see what we can learn from that. So the number two thing that I learned at the race is cut yourself some slack. Unless you're waking up in the morning and deciding, you know what? I'm going to intentionally try to screw up this thing called life. Then you're giving it a go, and you deserve some credit. Finally, number three, find yourself a group. It'll be more fun. You'll be more successful, however you define success. And even those elite runners that seem to be out there all by themselves, they're actually pacing themselves off each other all the time. Life is easier and more fun if you have the benefit and the strength of community. No, and this one, not an online community. Honest to goodness, in-person community. Now, I'll even give you a Bible quote just to prove the point. Ecclesiastes 4, starting at verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up the other. But woe to the one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though one might prevail against another, two will withstand one. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. That's all for today. So I can't imagine that there is anyone out there wanting to argue with much of this, though if there's one thing that the last 10 years or so has shown us in our society, it is that people will argue with anything. One survey revealed 10% of our adult population believes that the earth is flat. So who knows? But more likely is that you listened to this and you thought, "Ooh, he missed a huge point. He missed something major about how life is like that race. And if so, if you thought that, if you have an idea, I'd love to hear from you. My email address is dan at skypilot.zone. So let me know give me your thoughts, your comments. Also, if you have an idea for a future episode, I love those when people send them to me. So send that to my email address as well, dan at skypilot.zone. And on your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Thanks for joining us here today and being part of the Skypilot Faith Quest community. This is a great place to ask questions you wouldn't feel comfortable or safe asking in other places. And remember... The sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions.